Good morning, my friends. My name is Jeff Jeffrey, and I feel I need to introduce myself because I'm a new face that you haven't seen recently. Well, I'm a new face in two ways. Obviously, I'm not Brian Myers or Jim Murphy or Joey Parsons, and my face has changed since I've seen many of you during this COVID time of isolation. Last Sunday, we observed uh, Pentecost Sunday in many churches in America. In my online daily devotions last week, I mentioned the fact that it was Pentecost Sunday, and I offered meditations on different aspects of Pentecost in preparation for today's message. I have some things I'd like to share with you, but before we do, let's just pause for a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather in your name, even electronically. We thank you that you are here and there and everywhere at the same time, and we thank you that you love us so much, you gave your son to die on the cross for our sins. I pray that you would just fill me with your Holy Spirit as your messenger today. And I pray that as people are listening, that you would speak to each one of them in a particular way. They'll get something, one thing, out of the message today, or maybe more. And we just thank you in advance for what you're, we're going, what you're going to do, because we ask it in the name and the power and through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Come with me now to a place far away, a long time ago, in a culture vastly different from our own. It is Pentecost, May 24th, A.D., the year of our Lord, 33. It's the 50th day after the Sabbath of Passover week. Pentecost marks the beginning of the Feast of Weeks. And you know, Pentecost is a festival of joy with the presenting of the first fruits of the grain harvest to the Lord. Just 10 days ago, Jesus has ascended into heaven. And in keeping with his instructions, the disciples have stayed on in Jerusalem. Acts 2 verses 1 through 4 reports, As they are meeting together, they hear a loud roaring like a mighty wind, and it fills the house where they are meeting. Then they see what looks like tongues of fire resting on each other's heads. They remember how Jesus had spoken about a baptism of fire, and, and yet they're not burned by it. And everyone present is filled with the Holy Spirit and begins speaking in tongues and languages that they have never learned as the Holy Spirit gives them ability. What is happening? There's a wind, an audible sign to their ears. Actually, some translations have it, there's the sound of a tornado. But then again, there's no mention of them feeling anything on their cheeks or their bodies. They hear what can only be described as the loud roaring of a mighty wind. Wind is the symbol of God's breath. Wind is translated, the, the Greek word ruach is translated sometimes as wind and sometimes as the spirit. So wind is a symbol then of God's breath, God's spirit, God's wind. Wind is the symbol also of God's sovereignty. Ezekiel prophesies to the wind, and he calls on it to revive the dead bones in the valley. 
Jesus speaks of the wind to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 8, telling of its certainty, but also predicting, also of its unpredictability. This Pentecost wind is an audible sign from God. The imminent filling of the Holy Spirit will be from God as well. And then there's the fire. The fire is a visual sign to their eyes. Just what do the disciples see that Pentecost day? I'm wondering, and maybe you are too. We don't know for sure, but whatever it is, it's described as looking like tongues of fire. Notice it, it isn't fire. It, it doesn't burn them, but it looks like fire. Fire, where do we see that in the Bible? Fire is often a sign or a symbol of God's presence. You remember how God appears to Moses in a burning bush? Do you recall John the Baptist predicting that Jesus will baptize with fire? The disciples on the road to Emmaus feel their hearts burning within them as Jesus speaks with them. Fire is a symbol of God's presence, but it's also a symbol of God's approval and his protection and his word. God provides a pillar of fire each night to guide and protect the children of Israel as they wander in the desert for 40 years. Fire is a symbol, too, of the Holy Spirit's power to purify and refine in discipline and judgment. Jesus gives the example of the chaff being burned up after it is separated from the wheat. Stop with me a moment and ask yourself, is there any chaff in my life that needs to be burned away by the fire of the Holy Spirit? Are there memories of past failures for which I refuse to accept forgiveness? Are there plans that I've made for the future that could never receive the Lord's blessing? Is there an act, a habit, an attitude, a thought pattern, a tendency that I'd like to give up to the Lord to be burned? If so, do it. Do it. Say, Lord, burn away what's impure in me that I might be made more and more like Jesus Christ. Another question is this. Does my heart burn within me as I hear the word of the Lord written, told, read to me? Like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, can we say our hearts were strangely warmed? They burned within us. Today, I would describe a Christian like this, a dedicated Christian, as being on fire for the Lord. I'm sure you've heard that. Here's another question, though, for us to ponder. Can I honestly say 
I am on fire for the Lord? Can I honestly say, would anybody describe me as being on fire for the Lord? Have I caught the inflammatory, inflammatory nature of the Bible, of the Christ, of the cross, of forgiveness of sins, of reconciliation to God, of the defeat of death, and of eternal life with him? This is inflammatory, my friends. It's just not ho-hum news that we share if it's convenient. Do I have the inner enthusiasm, that, that excitement, that inextinguishable affirmation of life in Christ? Do I? Do you? The signs of the wind and fire are unmistakable. Something big is about to come down. The, the game is beginning. The ball has been tossed. The puck has been dropped. The gun has gone off. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 4 reports. Half-empty men and women, convinced of God's presence in their minds, are now filled with the power of his presence in their hearts and their minds. Possessing the Spirit as they do to some degree, John 20, verse 22, they now cross a threshold to a new dimension of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Think about that. There's a big difference between possessing the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. Once the Spirit comes to live in our hearts and in our lives at the moment of belief, we continually are to seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be Spirit-filled? It's a good question. A Spirit-filled believer yields every area of life to the control of the Spirit. A Spirit-filled believer confesses every known sin to God. And David even asks for forgiveness for sins that he doesn't know about or sins of omission in his Psalms. A spirit-filled believer asks for the guidance and power in all that is said and thought and done. Show me a person who is controlled by the Spirit and I'll show you a person who is filled with the Spirit. To be Spirit-filled is to be Spirit-controlled and to display and possess the fruit of the Spirit. Familiar verses in the Galatians chapter 5 say, A Spirit-filled believer possesses and displays the fruit of the Spirit, which is... Notice it doesn't say are, it's not the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, say it with me, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-controlled. As I've reflected back over the years, I've noticed in my own life and in the lives of many other people that there, there seems to be a process a vital, in becoming a vital, spirit-filled Christian. 
our initial response to Christ as we receive the gift and faith and understanding is to believe in him and personally accept his offer of salvation from our sins. He then gives us the Holy Spirit as a gift that we possess. What a gift. Not only forgiveness of our sins, not only the, the, the forgiveness and the promise of, of a place in heaven, but he gives us right now his spirit to live in our lives. And so we, begun to, we begin to come to grips with the message of the kingdom of God. And we begin to understand the radical change in lifestyle that is demanded in the New Testament. So we try to love, love, love. We try to forgive. We try to serve as we understand that Jesus wants us to serve when he says, follow in my steps. We want to please him in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, don't we? We want to please him, and so we try hard. We try very, very hard, don't we? But sooner or later, tell me if you can identify with me, sooner or later, the demanding challenge proves too large for us, and we're forced to admit that we simply cannot do it. And at this point, a lot of people give up their Christian faith because they try to be perfect in their own power and in their own strength and then wonder why they can't do it. We simply don't have what it takes. Now, this sounds like a desperate situation, doesn't it? But I would like to suggest that it's really a blessing in disguise because through this process, we are prepared to receive the fullness of the Spirit. Out of power, conscious of our inadequacies, we are broken and empty. And you know what? That's just where Christ wants us to be. Now we are ready to hear and understand his words when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing of lasting value. At this point then, our challenge is to consciously yield every area of life to the control and the power of the Spirit. And through the process, we move from simply possessing the Spirit to the Spirit possessing us. Do you see the difference? It's such a world of difference, and it took me so long to understand this. When I become a Christian, I have the Holy Spirit. As, as a possession. But the real question is, how much of me does the Holy Spirit have? Does the Holy Spirit possess me? Does the Holy Spirit possess you? At that point, we are ready to accept the fact that being a Christian is not just following the Master, trying our hardest to live up to a standard of perfection trying to be faithful and obedient in our own strength and e effort. My friends, we are not just sinners saved by grace. Oh, there are hymns that suggest that too. They suggest that we're worms. How would he devote his sacred head for such a worm as I? We call it worm theology. 
So many of us are stuck there that we just crawl through life in defeat because after all, I'm only a sinner saved by grace. We are not only a sinner saved by grace trying to act like saints. This never works for long and we're destined to become defeated and discouraged. Have you been there? Have you done that? Are you there now? Are you doing that, thinking that way? Yes, it's true. I'm a sinner saved by grace at one point along the way. But when I come to believe and receive Jesus Christ as my Lord, as well as my Savior, I am transformed into a saint who sometimes sins. How about you? A saint that sometimes sins? Or only a sinner saved by grace? We all live up to the image we have of ourselves. If we see ourselves as only a sinner saved by grace, then, then we're going to act like hapless and helpless and hopeless sinners. But if we see ourselves as saints, we act as those redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. To be spirit-filled is to be spirit-controlled, to possess the display and display the fruit of the Spirit and allow Christ to live in us and through us. Being an, being an effective, fulfilled, victorious believer is allow, allowing the Spirit of Christ to live in me and through me. I can't live the Christian life on my own, but... But I can do all things through Christ who infuses me with strength. Philippians 4.19 I can't live the life on my own, in my own power, by, by sheer will force, but I can do all things that he wants me to do because he gives me the strength in Christ Jesus. And that's what this filling is all about, my friends. It's not a once and for all laying on of hands event. It's not necessarily emotional or dramatic or even public. It starts at one point in time, yes, but it continues as a daily, moment by moment, conscious decision to yield control to the Spirit. And so I'm here with good news today the fullness of the Spirit is for you. It's for me. Today. Tomorrow. Next week. A second blessing, yes, but a third blessing also. And a fourth, and a thousandth, and a ten thousandth blessing. Amen? Paul exhorts in Ephesians 5.18 that we are to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just be filled once and for all and we're done, but be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I won't get into all the construction in Greek, which leads us to translate it that way. So how about you? Here's a question again. 
Do you simply possess the Holy Spirit in your life? Is he just a guest that sits on the living room couch and it's nice to have him around? Or does the Spirit possess you? Does the Spirit control you? Are you filled with the Spirit? Not only are the disciples of Christ filled with the Spirit during this unique Pentecost celebration, but they are suddenly able to speak languages that they have never heard or even learned. And everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. Thousands of God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven have come from all over the known world to worship God together. Now they, are, now they are able to hear the good news of Jesus, their Messiah, in their own native language. Wow. And the Bible tells us a few verses later that that day about 3,000 of those who were initially amazed and perplexed also repent and are baptized under the Spirit-filled preaching of the Apostle Paul. Wow, how can we recover this same power? How can we experience this same power? Wouldn't it be great if we could hear the wind and see the fire? Oh yes, it would. But Pentecost can't be repeated any more than we can repeat the burning bush experience of Moses or the virgin birth of our Lord by Mary. This, spent, this special Pentecostal manifestation of the Spirit happens once in time and space. But what we can ask for and expect is the same power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the same power. And we get that power, as I have suggested, by consciously, purposefully waiting like the disciples were waiting, sensitive, prayerful, expectant, ready for the promptings of the Spirit in your life. Our challenge is to become consciously, purposefully, yielding ourselves to His control. Then He will guide us. Then he will empower us. Then he will direct us. Then he will instruct us. And yes, then he will convict us. Then he will use us as he wills, when he wills, where he wills, and how he wills. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be an experience that we wouldn't want to miss? An experience of being filled with the Spirit. And, 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 and like Philip was, was spirited away, literally spirited away to meet the Ethiopian eunuch. That's got to be an exciting day, my friends, in the life of following Jesus. How exciting are your days of following the Lord? Pentecostal power is available to all who believe and receive. 
But I have to tell you, it seems so rare, doesn't it? Have you ever thought of that? Well, you know, that was nice for them back then in that situation, but we don't see anything like that today. I don't know what you're talking about, Pentecostal power. It sounds like a church or an organization or a movement. No, my friends, why do you think it's so rare today? Why do you suppose that we think it's unusual? Is God less willing or able to do mighty and marvelous miracles through his children today? What do you say? No, I suggest that many times the fault lies with us. The fault lies with you. The fault lies with me. I don't expect or believe or step out in faith believing that the, the Spirit will fill me and guide me and use me and empower me and give me a sense of wisdom, a sense of direction, a sense, a sense of discernment. The Spirit is, is willing to meet all of my needs if only I'm willing to admit them. If only I allow Him to work in me and then through me. That's the way it works when you prepare a sermon, my friends. The Lord works in me before I have something to share through me with people, good people like you, fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Are you, are you curious as to how we can discover this di dynamic in, in our lives, this dynamic dimension? Well, we yield control of our lives to the Lord. Is that something you've done? Is that something you do on a daily or a regular basis? I hope so. Sometimes I forget to do that. Let me be honest. Maybe some of you can say amen to that as well. Sometimes my first response is just to do what I know how to do and to do the best I can in my own strength and my own power. So sometimes I have a good idea, but it's not the right time or it's not the right place or it's not as good as I could have been had I listened and yielded to the Holy Spirit. Well, we, can, we, we have the fire of the Holy Spirit within us, so as well as yielding my control, control of my life to the Lord, I have a choice to fan the flame and feed the fire of the Spirit or not. The Spirit is a fire that God has put in me and you as believers. The question I want to ask you is this. How do I treat this fire? How do I care for this fire? Do I fan the fire into a roaring blaze as hot as a furnace to the point where it could be said I am on fire for God? Or, despite the warnings in the Bible, do I douse the fire of the Spirit with the cold water of living in known sin, pleasure, and worldliness? Or do I starve the fire by neglecting to fuel it with regular reading of the Bible, prayer, fellowship with brothers and sisters in the Lord, and a lifestyle of obedience to the Lord. During these COVID days of isolation, it's too easy to put our spiritual lives in neutral. 
it's, it's too easy to neglect the fueling of the fire of spiritual growth. It's, it's all too easy, I find, and maybe you do too, it's all too easy to slip into old patterns of self-indulgence. It's all too, too easy to get out of the habit of gathering together. Now, we haven't been able to, but I, I've been told that some people are now out of the habit and think, I can get along fine. Why do I need to go back to church? That's just all too easy to neglect the fire, to starve the fire, to douse the fire of the Holy Spirit. The fire of the Spirit is within us as believers. The choice is ours and what to do with that fire. We can neglect it. We can starve it. We can quench it. Or we can fan it and feed it. So what do you think? What would most likely describe you? Neglect, starve, and quench, or fan and feed? I want to be on the fan and feed side of the equation, and I hope you do too. It's great if you're there, keep doing what you're doing. But if you're not, I would encourage you to, 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 to make a change, to switch sides, so to speak, of the equation. We can be coming to understand this dynamic dimension in our lives by yielding our lives to the Lord by fanning and feeding the fire of the Spirit, and also by asking God for His promised power. What I'm trying to say here is that living the victorious Christian life is a cooperative venture between the believer and the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a team effort. Only with His power can we do what we're asked to do. I hope we've made our case so far for that. So I've heard it said that God and me make a majority. But, of course, we all know that's not good English. God and me make a majority. But it does rhyme, and it helps me remember that theologically it's right on. God and me, God and His Holy Spirit, and me make a majority. Together we can go forth according to the will and the ways of the Lord. With the Spirit's power and my determination we can win the battle. We can, we can live the victorious Christian life. We can overcome evil with good. We can accomplish the will of our Lord to follow in his footsteps. Many of you would have agreed with me up to this point. At least I hope you have, or given you something to think about. But allow me to issue a warning here before we close. Sometimes I find that we get overconfident and overpleased with ourselves when we avoid doing the things prohibited in the Bible, when we are able to recite and then try to live, again, in a legalistic, mechanical, human point of view, the thou shalt nots. I grew up with a lot of that, haven't you? Don't do this, don't go there, this is forbidden, that is forbidden, this is not allowed, we don't say that, we don't do this, we don't do that, and we are so proud of it. We are proud of all the things we don't do. But I would like to suggest to you today, the dose of reality comes in James chapter 4, verse 17, as we are informed or reminded that 
it is a sin to know what you ought to do and not to do it. Oh, brother, it's not only a sin to do what you shouldn't do, it's a sin not to do what you should do. Wow, it's not easy to be a Christian, is it? Well, I can't be that kind of a Christian on my own power. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, remember, God and me make a majority. So to be careless or neglectful in obeying the thou shalt is as harmful as to be disobedient. To attempt only those things we do in our own power and strength is to effectively show that we don't need or we don't want the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. Wow, that's a strong statement. Let me say it again. To attempt only those things we do in our own power and strength is to effectively show that we don't need or we don't even want the power of the Holy Spirit. It's almost like we're saying, I make a majority. When will we become dissatisfied with filling our lives with our own pride, our own plans, our own determinations, our own self-interest? When will we become fed up with those things that provide only temporary satisfaction? When will we be willing and ready to be filled with the Spirit, to be completely controlled by His power, to be used mightily in His service? Many of us have learned during this time of enforced isolation that there are many things which we used to rely on that we can live without because we've been forced to live without. Many things that we used to rely on for pleasure and satisfaction and fulfillment and amusement and entertainment and enjoyment or diversion. Many of those things have been denied to us and and so we've had to learn to live without these things. And some of us are asking, what is really essential? What really matters when it's all been said and done? What lasting treasure am I sending on ahead to heaven? The Spirit is really ready and willing to prove himself strong in our lives. The choice is ours. Will we be satisfied to continue living and experiencing the same old, same old? Will we? Are we content to conduct business as usual? Really? I don't think so. I don't think so. How about you? Where are you? What do you think? I think we've come a long way as a church in recent months and realizing we can't do church in our own wisdom and strength. We have acknowledged our need and called for the filling of the Spirit to direct us and empower us and guide us, to give us wisdom from above and to enable us to cease doing what is not beneficial and to begin pursuing those things we have neglected that would be more beneficial. Friends, our transition team, our session and our staff have been spending countless hours in prayer, planning, and envisioning the future of our church. The staff has stepped up to the plate to assume additional responsibilities in this historic time, complicated with the coronavirus restrictions. The transitional team, the elders, the staff, have reached a high degree of unity in, in many areas, but we need your continued support in patience, flexibility, and prayers 
as we lead our church, and as we all continue to rely on the Holy Spirit for wisdom, strength, and encouragement. Are you ready to be filled with the Spirit, to break through to a new dimension? I am who is with me. Jesus himself proclaims, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Brothers in Christ, will you ask him? Sisters in the Lord, will you ask him? Amen.